So we can see from these different passages in Scripture that depression is talked about in the Bible. And we can also see the universal experience of despair and the depression that so often follows as these people from ancient history like Job or Elijah or Jeremiah and the psalmist, people from different times and different seasons, from different levels of society, and for different reasons encountered times of deep darkness and depression. Another common question that comes up on this topic is, can a Christian experience depression? And I hope that it's clear from the stories that we've just looked at, like Job, Elijah, and Jeremiah, people who loved God deeply and served Him with their whole lives, they still experienced depression and deep despair at times. So yes, Christians are are just people too, just like any other human being. Uh, We can experience pain. We can experience trauma. We can experience physical suffering, abuse, neglect, or any of the other contributing factors that we explored earlier that can contribute to the development of depression. Sometimes we can wonder, does it mean that I'm not a good Christian if I'm depressed? And the answer to that is no. Again, a Christian can experience depression because just like any other person, we are just people too. It doesn't mean that we failed God or that we failed in our faith walk if we experience depression. It simply means that we're experiencing something that is just really challenging. It's really difficult. But as, but as Christians, we can have confidence that God is with us through the challenge. Like Psalm 34, 18 reminds us, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Another spiritual question I'm commonly asked on this topic is, what's the difference between a dark night of the soul and depression? If you've read any of Peter Scazzaro's books like Emotionally Healthy Spirituality or The Emotionally Healthy Leader, he talks about this concept of a dark night of the soul, which dates back to a man called John of the Cross in the 16th century. And John of the Cross describes this dark night of the soul experience that is marked by a season of deep spiritual crisis and a sense of desolation when we might feel deeply abandoned by God or experience a profound sense of emptiness or disconnect from God. In the fall of 2007, Mother Teresa's private writings were published. And many of the excerpts were filled with surprising doubt and despair and a kind of spiritual anguish that she wrote about. And in analyzing her writing, some journalists questioned whether or not she was clinically depressed. Others asked the question, could this be a dark night of the soul that Mother Teresa experienced? And at that time, a physician named Dr. Gerald May helped to answer this question through his book, The Dark Night of the Soul. 
He made the distinction that when a person is clinically depressed, they tend to become very emotionally shut down, even to the point where it's not possible for them to reach out to others who are in pain because they are going through such pain themselves. And it becomes very hard for them to offer compassion to others because of their own level of mental and emotional suffering. In contrast, during a dark night of the soul, the person still retains their ability to reach out to others, even though they are hurting themselves. And the person going through a dark night of the soul also has a sense of purpose in the pain, that they have this sense that in some way, God is going to use this experience they're going through, this dark time for their personal growth and development once they come out of it versus the profound sense of hopelessness that often accompanies a clinical depression. So now that we have explored some of the spiritual questions that can arise related to the topic of depression, let's turn our focus um, on to how to treat depression and what recovery can look like as well as how you can support a friend or a loved one who may be experiencing depression. So when we talk about treatment, the proper and timely treatment of depression is just a really important topic because the probability may actually increase for a person to develop a more resistant type of depression if they go without getting treatment as soon as possible. So early intervention is really key when it comes to treating depression. Earlier, I talked about the biopsychosocial spiritual model as an approach to the assessment and treatment of common mental health issues. And I invited you to imagine yourself like a house with those four rooms in it. And one of those rooms represents our physical health, another represents our mental health, The third represents our emotional and social health, and that fourth one, our spiritual health. And we looked at each of those four rooms when it came to understanding how to assess or to look for those symptoms that are commonly associated with depression. And now we're going to use those same four rooms to talk about the treatment of depression. So let's start with that room of our physical health. When I've treated someone for depression as a psychologist, One of the first steps in the treatment process is to have them go for a medical exam with their physician and get referrals for blood work and a thyroid check. And these tests are really important, as we talked about earlier, to rule out any underlying physical ailments or factors that could be contributing to depression. I would also review self-care with the individual that I was working with who is experiencing depression. And I talk about self-care in four basic categories. The first is sleep. Research studies indicate that on the whole, those of us in North America tend to be a very sleep-deprived culture. And the toll that that takes on our bodies and our psyches over the long term really has a lot to do with many of the stress-related illnesses that we see in our world today. 
Sleep researchers tell us that on average, we should be getting a minimum, a minimum of eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. Now, most people that I've talked to in counseling sessions are shocked to hear that, or they just honestly admit to me they are getting a lot less than that target average. But as they begin to work towards making changes in their habits and do a better job of getting proper amounts of sleep, they typically find positive improvements in their mood and in their ability to just cope with the everyday stressors of life. If you're having significant issues with sleep, a psychologist can work with you to ensure that you're practicing good sleep hygiene and help you develop some specialized strategies to get a better night's sleep. One of my personal favorite strategies that I've used in times when I'm having difficulty sleeping is, it's, I just call it counting random numbers. And it goes like this. You just simply count random numbers between zero to 100. So you let your mind just go like a pinball machine, one, 27, 43, 98. And as you do that, while you're preparing for sleep, this strategy actually really helps to distract our mind just enough from any stressors or worries that are occupying it. And it helps us to relax, but it's not such a stimulating activity that it's gonna wake us up again. So that's one of my personal favorites. Another helpful strategy can be reciting really well-known scripture memory verses that you've committed to memory. As you just start to recite those in your mind, it can really help to relax your body and your mind. A second key area of self-care is diet and nutrition. A high carb, high sugar diet is toxic for anyone, but it is especially damaging for anybody who's struggling with depression because of the inevitable sugar crash that happens after we consume sugary foods, which only further decreases our mood. Unfortunately, it can be really tempting to reach for those carbs and sugars because when our mood declines, our bodies actually tend to crave carbs and sugars in an effort to give us that immediate boost or lift in our mood. But unfortunately, the long-term consequences of that just serve to keep the depressed feelings going. Instead, high-protein, high-fiber diets are the best because they're, they're natural mood boosters for us. Another tip is to eat regularly, not going for longer than four to six hours between meals. You may have heard this acronym, HALT, H-A-L-T. It's a reminder to ask ourselves the basics. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Or am I tired? And oftentimes, if we address those four areas of our lives, our mood improves overall. The third important component of self-care is exercise. There's a quote from a physician that I love on this topic, and he said, it is unethical for a physician or a counselor to meet with a patient and fail to prescribe exercise. 
Now, I think in some ways he said that tongue-in-cheek because you probably knew that I was going to raise the topic of exercise today. Um, And it's one that oftentimes we go to meet with our doctor, our doctor will raise the topic of exercise. But there's also a lot of truth to this statement because exercise is one of the number one activities that we can do to naturally boost our mood. In the United States, Duke University found in a study that after one year, those with major depressive disorder who did regular exercise received as much benefit as they would from taking medication. And that's because exercise releases all of these fabulous endorphins in our brain that have such a powerful role in boosting our mood. So just 30 minutes a day of heart-activating movement five times a week can have such a powerful effect and go a long way in helping someone to recover from or prevent depression. Now, oftentimes when a person is already experiencing a depression, they can feel easily overwhelmed or stressed. So it's probably way too much of a goal for them to start right away with 30 minutes of activity, five days a week. Instead, starting with five minutes a day, just two times a week, and building it up from there is probably a better starting point for anybody who's already experiencing depression. The fourth aspect of self-care that I want to talk about today in terms of treating depression is social connection. There was a study that was done in the United Kingdom a few years ago to discover some of the most pressing societal issues. And researchers in the study, they expected to discover through their surveys that people would indicate number one societal issues, like things like poverty or health care. But instead, the researchers were very surprised to learn that the majority of people reported loneliness as the number one issue that they were facing in society today. And really, so many people in our world today are just simply feeling alone. So opportunities for true connection and meaningful community are so important in the recovery process from depression. So these are four essential areas that are going to just help all of us improve our overall mental health, but especially those who are battling with depression. And one thing that I encourage people to remember is that depression will lie to you. It will tell you that you can't do anything to help yourself, um, that things are never going to get better or they're never going to change. But those things simply are not true. You can feel better and you can make changes that are helpful to your overall mental health. A common question people have related to depression is about the role of medication in treatment. As a psychologist, my training is primarily in the field of psychology. So that's the study of thoughts, emotions, and behavior. So I'm not trained in a medical model um, or and I'm, I'm not trained in the field of using medication to treat mental health issues like a physician or a psychiatrist would be. But 
In my clinical practice, I've worked closely with physicians and psychiatrists when treating somebody, especially someone who's experiencing moderate or severe levels of depression, and someone who might benefit from medication. And I have seen firsthand the very positive results of medication in the lives of many people. A great resource on the topic of depression was written by a Christian physician named Dr. Grant Mullen, and his book is called Emotionally Free. And he talks about the important role of medication in treating depression. And he also addresses the hesitancies that we can have sometimes as Christians um, in terms of accessing medication to treat issues like depression. And he provides what I think is a really great analogy on this topic. He raises the question, if your child was sick with a fever and you knew that there was a medication that could simply address that ailment, well, as a loving parent, wouldn't you provide that to your child? Or much like a person with diabetes who needs insulin, a person with depression can often need and benefit from um, medication as a form of treatment to just correct and restore optimum levels of neurochemicals in our brain. Scientific research also demonstrates that the best treatment outcomes for a person with depression generally occur when an individual combines medication with counseling. The role of counseling is absolutely key in addressing depression to help a person learn more about depression, as well as strategies that can be helpful in recovering from the depression and preventing it from happening again. One of the key counseling treatments for depression is called cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive researchers tell us that we are able to think 400 to 1,200 words a minute. So imagine if that thinking is inaccurate, if it's negative, if it's depressed, well then understandably our mood is going to become more negative and more depressed over time because our thoughts affect our feelings. Now, we all have errors in our thinking or unhelpful ways of thinking. And these unhelpful ways of thinking can contribute to experiences like depression. And that's why cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT for short, is so effective in treating people with depression. As the name suggests, CBT is based on the idea that how we think or our cognitions affects how we feel or our emotions, and then that impacts how we act or our behaviors, and that all interacts together. So the cognitive model includes four basic steps. Number one, a situation occurs, something happens. Number two, we have a thought about that situation. Number three, a feeling occurs as a result of the thought. And number four, we then perform an action or a behavior in response to that emotion. So here's an example. Number one, a situation occurs. So let's say George is invited to a social gathering. Number two, 
George has an unhelpful negative thought. He thinks, you know what? Nobody likes me and I'm awkward in social situations. Number three, that thought produces a feeling of sadness and a sense of low self-worth in George, leading to feelings of depression. So number four, George acts by not accepting the invitation to the social gathering. He withdraws, he isolates himself, and as a result, it keeps that depressive cycle going. So as you can see, unhelpful thoughts lead to unpleasant emotions and unhelpful behaviors that then reinforce our negative thoughts and experiences that then maintain the whole problem. So the purpose of CBT is to change those unhelpful negative thoughts to be more helpful and positive thoughts. And I love this concept of cognitive behavioral therapy because for me, it fits really well with scripture. Romans 12.2 tells us, let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way that we think. And it goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 says, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I think that fits well with this notion of cognitive behavioral therapy as well. And then finally, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, think on these things. So the Bible gives us instructions about how to focus our thoughts and our mind. And I think that fits really well with CBT. So some of the key aspects of treatment with cognitive behavioral therapy include activities like developing new ways of thinking and behaving, creating new healthy coping skills, and focusing on the here and now while still acknowledging the influence of the past. So let's talk a little bit about generating new ways of thinking and new skills. This is going to require homework and it's going to require practice. So one of my favorite tools to teach others when it comes to depression is a really simple tool called a rating scale. And I actually use this tool regularly in my own life on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and what we're going to do is just imagine a scale like a thermometer um, that goes from zero to 10. And zero on the thermometer, the rating scale, equals low mood. And uh, excuse me, it equals low mood and maybe feeling quite depressed. 10 equals high mood and feeling happy. Okay. So at any given moment in your day, you can rate yourself on that scale and then ask yourself, what is one thing that I can do to move up on that scale, even if it's just one point up? So for example, it might be call a friend, take a shower, 
eat something, make your bed, just get a simple task done. Um, and that might help you to move up from maybe a two on that scale to a three. Then you can ask yourself, what's something else that I could do to kind of boost my mood on that rating scale? Another great strategy is called thought challenging. We all have a running monologue that goes through our minds each day. And some of that can include really negative self-talk. We can say things to ourselves that we would never say to another person. And this is a strategy that then invites us to think of a negative comment that you've said to yourself. Um, some examples would be like, oh, I should have done better on that, or I'm so stupid, or I'm such a loser. Then imagine a friend that you love or a family member or your child in a situation like that and ask yourself, would I say that to that person, that same thing that I just spoke over myself? If the answer is no, then you should definitely reevaluate how you're speaking to yourself and engage with more compassion towards yourself. Cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the gold standard evidence-based treatments for dealing with depression. And research shows a successful treatment rate of CBT. Um, uh, I'm going to have to back up and redo that one again. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. CBT is one of the gold standard evidence-based treatments for depression. Research shows a successful treatment rate with CBT of 65 to 70% for individuals with clinical depression. So finding a good psychologist or a good counselor who is trained in CBT can really make a life-changing difference for anyone who's experiencing depression. So now that we've looked at the first two rooms in our house, the rooms of physical health and mental health, let's take a look at the room of our social and emotional health, because work in this room is also needed to bring healing and recovery from depression. And that work can include things like processing unresolved grief or trauma or abuse. You know, some of us have experienced great pain from relationships, or from people in our lives that have let us down in some way. And those experiences can result in depression and they need to be talked through and worked through in a safe healing environment, whether that's with a pastor or a counselor or a psychologist or a support group. Sometimes there are patterns in our own lives that need to be addressed to bring greater health to our relationships and the emotions that we experience as a result of those relationships. Things like learning to set healthy boundaries or practicing healthy assertiveness in our relationships to address important issues or learning the art of healthy confrontation. If it's been hard for us to do that for some reason in our lives, perhaps because of past trauma or abuse or dysfunction in family relationships, 
then that can also contribute to feelings of depression because we feel dishonored or disrespected by others. And yet our part starts with learning to set healthy limits, learning to say no, or on the other hand, learning to ask for what we want and need in a relationship. Another strategy is called creative coping, and it can be really helpful in healing from depression. And it simply involves engaging in a creative activity alone or with others. So things like drawing, painting, dancing, or movement of some sort, woodworking, gardening, cooking or crafting, knitting or playing an instrument or writing. Each of these activities can be such a great mood booster. They help to stimulate parts of our brain and those parts of our brain then release great neurotransmitters that help us to feel better. Lastly, let's focus on that room in our house that represents spiritual health. Spiritual practices can be very meaningful and very important when recovering from depression. And these practices include things like worship and praise, either doing that individually on our own or collectively with our community, our faith community. Scripture, reading, meditating on the word, studying it, memorizing it. Or if we we aren't at a place that we can do that, at least listening to podcasts or uh, audio sermons or even just listening to scripture through a Bible app can be so rejuvenating. Prayer, that can include either receiving prayer from others or praying individually. And sometimes if we're feeling depressed, it can be really hard to even concentrate enough to pray on our own. And if you're finding that to be the case, uh, a prayer book or a devotional guide can be helpful, or praying prayers from the Psalms or the New Testament can be another way of engaging in prayer from a, a slightly different perspective during that time of depression. Fellowship with other believers. There was a groundbreaking research study actually conducted here in Saskatoon a number of years ago by Dr. Marilyn Bates. And it demonstrated the value of church life in healing from depression. The results of the study showed that frequent churchgoers had a lower severity of depressive symptoms. They had shorter lengths of stay in the hospital if they needed to be hospitalized for mental health reasons. And they had higher overall satisfaction with life than patients who didn't attend church or pray. Um, So, Healthy spiritual practices absolutely make an important contribution to our mental health. Another study was done on a broader scale, and it included 12,000 Canadians who reported symptoms of depression. And the study compared three groups of people. Those who attended worship services once a month, those who attended worship services infrequently, And thirdly, those who never went to church. And the study found that only regular attenders had the benefit of fewer diagnoses of depression than the other two groups. So again, some interesting research 
that points to the benefits of participating in a church community and of having an active spiritual life as a deterrent to depression and associated mental health issues. So now that you have all of this great information, the question is, what will you do with it? How will you implement it? Well, if you're watching today and you're experiencing depression, the first step is to go and see your medical doctor. Tell your doctor your symptoms and get a thorough medical exam. The second step is to reach out to someone, a counselor, a pastor, a friend, a family member. And I encourage you keep reaching out until you get the help that you need. Find someone that will keep you accountable for moving forward in your recovery process. Sometimes we can reach out to someone and we don't get the response or the, the support that we need. Don't let that stop you. Keep reaching out until you get the help and the support that you need. Thirdly, I encourage you cling to the promise found in Psalm 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me, he heard my cry. He drew me out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, steadying my steps and establishing my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. I love the quote from Corey Ten Boom, who is a Holocaust survivor, and she was author of a book called The Hiding Place. And she says, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And if you're in that dark pit of depression, know today that God's love can reach you where you are and bring hope and put a new song in your heart. If you have a friend or a loved one who suffers from depression, here are some ways that you can be a help and a support to them. Listen and hear their pain. When we listen to someone without telling them what to do, it affirms their sense of value. James 1.19 in the message says it this way, lead with your ears. I love that. Lead with your ears. That's important work to listen to someone. When you do speak to them, use your words for the sole purpose of encouraging them. Secondly, realize the power of healthy touch. A hand on the shoulder, an appropriate hug can bring such comfort. And it releases all of these wonderful endorphins in a person's brain that can help to boost mood. Bring laughter into their lives through great movies or funny videos or lighthearted humor or uplifting stories. Consider the power of music. So many research studies show the tremendous power of music and how therapeutic it can be for a person's overall mental and emotional health. So bring beautiful music into their lives. And you can be an accountability partner. You can say to them, I'm with you in this and I won't abandon you. Ecclesiastes 4.9 reminds us, it's better to have a partner than go it alone. 
If one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, it's really tough. So those are a few things that you can do that can be helpful if you know someone who's going through a depression. I want to talk to you now about um, a few things that maybe are not helpful to do if somebody is going through a depression that you know or love. Generally, it's not helpful to say to them, oh, you just shouldn't feel that way. Um, It's more helpful to say, I care about you. I care about what you're feeling. I'm here to listen. It's not helpful to say, you just need to pray more. It's more helpful to say, I'm praying for you and I'm going to keep on praying for you. Let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. It's not so helpful to say, just read your Bible more. It could be more helpful to say, you know what? There's several passages in the Bible that have given me hope. Can I share them with you? Can I send you some of them throughout the week just to encourage you? It's not helpful to say, you need to get more involved in church and then you'll feel better. It's probably more helpful to say, I'm involved in a church where I've been learning how meaningful life can be. I'd love for you to come with me one Sunday and I'll treat you to lunch after. So just those encouragements and those meaningful, real actions that can help a person who's going through a depression. So as we finish this series on the topic of depression, I hope that you found this information helpful for yourself or someone that you know who's experiencing depression. If you need to find help quickly, call 911, okay? Or call Saskatoon Mobile Crisis or Kids Help Phone. Just Google those and the number will come right up and give them a call. If you're in need of resources to start the journey to healing, contact your doctor, contact your pastor, or look for a great psychologist or a Christian counselor on, um, there's two websites that you can find, uh, great psychologists and counselors. One is psychologytoday.com and the other is theravive.com. There are a lot of great books out there on the topic of depression as well. I've mentioned to you the one by Dr. Grant Mullen, Emotionally Free. I also love a book by Joyce Meyer called Battlefield of the Mind. She just uses the the powerful um, use of scripture to help to reshape our minds. And another great resource is by Dr. Carolyn Leaf called Switch on Your Brain. Um, So sometimes it can be really helpful to engage our brains with reading um, when we need to um, just learn about a new topic. And I want you to remember that things will not always feel the way that they do right now if you're experiencing a depression. There is hope and you can feel better. So reach out for help. Keep reaching out until you get the support that you need. And I want to leave you with these words from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.